0: This is IEDA in your ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. The Battery Innovation Center is located in southern Indiana, south of Bloomington, at the Westgate Technology Park, adjacent to the Naval Support Activity Crane installation. The BIC, as it is sometimes referred to, is established established to build upon Indiana's legacy of battery innovation and leadership. And I'm honored today to have the leadership team from the Battery Innovation Center on this podcast. So joining me today are Heather Mischler, Accounting and Front End Manager, Wan Tang, Advanced Battery Manufacturing Team Leader, Danny Marshall, Test and Evaluation Team Leader, Bill Walter, Operations Manager and ben reitzman president and ceo so ben and heather um let's start with uh with the two of you Uh, first of all uh, thank you all for being here and being on the podcast Uh, but let's go back to ben and heather and let's start with just a very high level explanation of what is the battery innovation center
1: lee um yeah appreciate the uh the intro and obviously the opportunity to to share with you and uh, your listeners about uh, about BIC uh, which is how we refer to uh, battery innovation Center to keep it uh, keep it simple. So you know BIC really came about uh, from a vision of a lot of different players. Uh, probably key to note that we are a public-private nonprofit so we are both a, a 501c3 and a 501c6 organization And this was really uh, frankly kind of done out of the, uh, the outcroppings of what happened in 08 and 09. Uh, across a lot of industries, uh, but here specifically in Indiana, uh, as we and as we looked at our manufacturing uh, base and looked at technology, one of the areas where we had you know quite a bit of decimation was in the battery uh, arena. You know, we've had a lot of electrification here in the in Indiana dating back as actually as early as the 1900s with Pope Waverly, you know, doing the very first electric vehicles here in Indiana. Since that time, there's a ton of heritage. But as we look, you know, again fast forward a lot of years forward to 08 and 09, there was a lot of downturn from uh, manufacturing, and like I said, one of those areas that was drastically impacted was the electrical, electric vehicles and electric battery space. And so um, the state along with uh, quite a few uh, you know, commercial entities, uh, Eli Lilly, Cummins Corporation, Rolls Royce, um, we had academics like Purdue and Penn State, who frankly uh, wasn't in Indiana, but had a, a keen presence in some collaboration with other academics, uh, Crane Naval Surface Warfare Center, you know, which is the third-largest naval base in the world, the only landlocked, uh, but is present here in southern Indiana. Um, really came together along with a bunch of other parties, uh, trying to help understand what were we going to do for this next generation of energy storage, this wave that they anticipated where we are, frankly, today. How do we have uh, an innovation center? Uh, think of it as a, a skunk works or a uh, an, ex- an exploration arena to go find that next generation because, again, that technology and that capability uh, really got, you know, decimated through the 08-09 downturn. So in that 11-12 uh, timing and uh, and planning for BIC and working with those companies is how the idea came about. And then uh, through the graciousness of the state of Indiana, specifically the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, Purdue, again, um, Penn State, um, again, NAFC Crane here locally with some projects early project uh, opportunities. And then Green County, where we sit today here in Southern Indiana, uh, an opportunity to actually build the center. So Green County, you know, put together the original bond in collaboration with those partners to build our original, you know, original part of the building. Um, you know, we put up, they put up, uh, you know, a, a little, almost nearly $16 million uh, for this, you know, nearly 50,000 square foot of capability uh, that exists. Um, so that's how we came about, and really focused originally on uh, working with the uh, with the military. So that was that was our first and foremost was that we were going to be kind of an outcropping of Crane, uh, and along with the opportunity to serve uh, the commercial entities, and and with that, their goal is as we start to serve some of the startups and some of the commercial entities and work with academia and the other national labs, an opportunity to hopefully share some of that for our fighter slash peacekeeper, but also to help move the industry forward and be a, you know, a center point attractor for Indiana.
0: And so you've touched upon sort of the history of, of it being in Indiana and, and the importance of that and, and sort of the history of the battery innovation that took place in Indiana. But um, I know that you do have a staff and you do have uh, people who are there. But, but, talk about how the center operates, that you're really sort of a collection point. It's not it's not everything is not all in place there. And while you have staff and you have expertise, talk about the operating model a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'll share a, a little bit there and then also have Heather touch on some of the points. Uh, you know, the key operational we well, we'll, we'll talk about operation methodologies and then we can share about our respective groups as well. but Operational methodologies, why we were set up as an offer profit, um, so we don't hold any IP. Any IP we generate becomes a customer, so that's very unique in this space. Especially as you look across what might be viewed as competitive landscape, uh, people like again academic labs or national labs. In fact, they're very complementary to what we do. In fact, a lot of cases they're both a feeder mechanism for our work and for our customers. So they're they're viewed as partners, not as you know as something as far as competition. Number two, we're you know we're really focused on how do we fast track uh, technologies uh, to market. So helping reduce, frankly, a lot of the bureaucracy that still exists today. And most of these companies, it's it's funny they spend more time uh, defining their box than actually getting stuff done. So um, our turn is how do we get stuff done and as much as possible try not to draw a box around it or at least uh, have that box editing as uh, as we're moving along. Third is uh, you know is is having uh, you know intellectual these IP and ITAR routes from a military perspective. So the ability to tightly control data, uh, to generate that data and have it in a a safe, secure uh, environment. Um, As far as the methodologies, I mean, there's kind of three ways where we can do the work. Uh, Folks can uh, come in and collaborate on that work, or they can come in and actually use our facility as well. So maybe I'll pause there and let Heather share a little bit about some of the different business arenas we have, and then also some of how our interactions work, including like, incubators for example
2: all right thanks ben and thanks for having me so like ben said uh, our main goal here is to accelerate innovation Uh, we do that in a variety of different ways in a couple different arenas so we're looking at research and development from the perspective of our clients and the goals that they have we'll work with them on a statement of work to see what they're trying to do what they're trying to accomplish is this a step forward in innovation and how can we help in that innovation a lot of times people will come to us for the development of the chemistry so we're looking at the cell uh, advanced battery manufacturing portion of uh, our business and there's a dedicated team there that will go into the chemistry dig deep into it find out what the best chemistry is find out how it works uh find out what the the best formula is maybe for that and what it does toward their goals. The next section there is test and evaluation. So a lot of times people will say, yep, we have the battery, we have it in a pack, we have it in a module. We wanna make sure that this is going to be safe, that this is going to do what we want it to do. And they will look at that and say, we want to do this first test. We're not even looking at standard yet, we just want a first test. We just wanna know what it's gonna do, how it's going to perform. So our test and evaluation team another dedicated team that will look into that data, develop a test that is suitable for their goals and we will work with them to develop that and develop toward that goal.
0: Well, let's go back to what is the vision that, that you have for the battery innovation center? long term, uh, where does it sit sort of in the universe of, of the technology that you're working on?
3: Well Lee let me this is Bill Walter. Let me take a stab at that we're we're tied in with the uh, Indiana economic development uh, process the association and and uh, so we have sort of an intention of uh, growing ideas uh, exploring those ideas and and making our own distinctive mark on the future and more specifically for the mission we use the big mission to help energy storage companies transform their business and in a business-forward environment that helps sustain long-term fiscal stability here in the state of Indiana, and we work with startups in, uh, to expand and diversify or re- relocate into the state uh, through their relationships and our projects with uh, the with the BIC. And,
1: and adding to that, uh, Lee as well. So, you know, the vision early on for Battery Innovation Center was for us to serve our indiana companies and then again to have attraction uh, at this uh, at this point because of uh, some inflection we had in the late 14 time frame into 2015 uh, unfortunately our original founder captain chuck lasota uh, who is unfortunately no longer with us um, he passed away not long after BIC's uh you know grand opening and inception um we, we had a we had a pivot there because of some of the work we were counting on and had been working with our our neighbor on uh, had not quite fully materialized, and then, you know, the unfortunate diagnosis uh, of, our, uh, of our founder and president at the time. So we had kind of a natural inflection point that we took to really pivot towards the commercial sector even further. So while we were looking at, you know, direct ties to Indiana, impact to Indiana, now we were looking at not only how does, in, um, how does Indiana impact itself, but how do we have a much more global impact? And I think, I think that vision was probably in the inception anyways. But everyone uh, didn't have that as part of that, such a, a near term goal. And so, you know, since that time, you know, really focusing beginning of 2015 till now, uh, we have been a, a global brand. And while we have, you know, quite an Indiana, you know, Indiana following, frankly, majority of our customers, if not nearly all but a few, actually sit outside the state. And in a lot of cases, um, those folks are coming to the state for the very first time. Uh, some of the technology, some of the capabilities we do. Uh, are attracting folks that have never considered Indiana for work, uh, have never collaborated in the state of Indiana. And these are, these are global brands in some cases. So as you look, Bill pointed it out well. We've become a, an economic development engine uh, for the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. In fact, they kind of used this as a model. Now there's others uh, that are coming like us in other sectors. But they use this as a model for a sector initiative. How do we, you know, how does as a state, they say, hey, we're going to put a stake in the ground that this, you know, this, this initiative is important to us. Energy, it was it is and was, you know, one of the ones for Indiana. BIC is seen as a model for how they can go out and interact uh, with other places and bring them to Indiana and or have relevance of Indiana in that technology as well. So the vision has definitely evolved. It started out, you know, as really kind of center-focused with some, you know, tapping out to others, where now we become, you know, very much a hub-and-spoke model Ironically, just like Indianapolis is, you know, how do we, how do we become the, the hub and there, you know, there's spokes and there's, you know, the outer wheel that goes all over the world at this point?
0: Okay. So, so we've talked a little bit about a couple of the footprints that, that are part of the center mission. you talked about the testing and evaluation. When I looked at the website, there are sort of four key focus areas, research and development, advanced battery manufacturing testing, evaluation, certification, and then the consultation, the technical consultation. So let's, let's talk about sort of the research and development aspect of what the BIC is doing. You, I think we all think we sort of know about batteries because we've used batteries all of our lives and you know, our toys and our radios and stuff. But obviously, as you all are thinking about batteries, it's a much, it's a much larger profile. And as we think about, you know, moving toward more electric vehicles and we think about renewable energy and storage. So what is at this point, what is the the sort of the current footprint, research footprint um, that you all are dealing with at the center? And what is the, the vision for sort of the battery future, if you will, that you all are sort of working on as we as we get to that? Is that uh, something, Bill, that you can help explain?
3: Brent, obviously, the vision, you know, is, is a, a subcomponent. It's a component of the larger big vision uh, when it comes to each of these functions, research, uh, cell fabrication and, and, you know, advanced battery manufacturing, small scale testing, evaluation, certification, and then, you know, the technical consultation is, is um, uh, I think we, we, we try to emphasize more of an advisory service uh, in the technical arena, as well as educational arena for continuing education unit uh, short courses and uh, accreditation or uh, continuing educational unit coursework. But each, each of these functions is, is challenged to catalyze the technology and development and shorten um, the, the timeline. Uh, and, and I could use a couple of examples of our incubator uh, process uh, where companies that want to progress from the prototype stage to the pre-production scale-up, we offer uh, consultation through other BIC employees as well as uh, consultants and uh, access to equipment and facilities and resources that would normally, uh, on, on an incubator on their own, would, would be cost prohibitive or very, very steep to try and uh, surmount and become to the, go to that next step. So by uh, offering dry rooms and access to test equipment and technical advice, uh, we're, we're helping to streamline and fast track the development of uh, newer, advanced battery chemistry technologies.
1: And Lee, I think Bill, uh, you know, touched on and, and led into some, some really good points. There is um, we, we really observed that the the missing gap when it comes to R and D is that um, it's very capital expensive, uh, very capital uh, expenditure um, expensive. Sorry, Cap-X-X, um As part of that, uh, so as folks are getting into. Uh, this kind of technology to do the early discovery and come up with a material is fairly straightforward and, and may or may not require the kind of facilities that we have today. You know, again, most of those can be done in a, you know academic incubator, you know, glove boxes and like. But as soon as you want to start to do any sort of scale on this technology, um, it's kind of like uh, maybe the old, uh, I'll use an easy bake oven analogy. Sorry, you know, for your listeners, I'll use a, uh, you know, a, hopefully a simplified analogy is if you got an easy-bake oven, you know, it, it would make one thing. Everybody thought that was so cool, right? But if anybody ever had one, remember that. But you know, if you wanted to use that on, like, you know, Thanksgiving to serve the family, you're not going to use that easy-bake oven to make, you know, a bunch of things. You're only going to make one. Uh, and so to replicate it at that kind of prototype scale, you've got to go have, you know, massive facilities. That's a very expensive undertaking. Uh, access to that talent, access to the money to build that, and, frankly, the runway that it takes to build that, uh, even if you said, hey, I want to build that center today, in most cases to build something like VIC is, you know, is a couple year, uh, you know, without COVID and other restrictions going on would be, a, you know, a two year endeavor before you can even start producing anything. And then you've got to validate it, which is going to take you another year on top. So you're talking about a, a typical minimum three, ideally four to five year runway from the time you do a prototype to, you know, you, you use your easy bake oven and it works once to now I'm going to use something commercial and start to produce it more than one. And so that's where BIC's, you know, vision and how we fit from a footprint perspective is we can take you and fast track that. So you have access to the same capability the same type of product, uh, the same overall platform that you would have um, at a scale company, but you can use it today. You bring your recipe in that you created in your easy bake oven, uh, you know, drop it into, you know, drop it into the Betty Crocker recipe you know, uh, arena and we create, you know, everything that goes on from there. So that's, you know, definitely one of the ways in which, you know, the, the footprint is impactful and how we help, you know, speed up that time frame. But as you
0: alluded to uh, you, early on, uh, Ben, you know, you talked about, you know, going back to, to 1900 uh, at the first electric vehicle and, you know, we, we've all been using batteries for all of our lives. So what is it? <laughs> It would seem to me, to an outsider and to probably people who are not thinking about the stuff the way you all are, don't we already know everything we need to know about battery technology? It's been around for, you know, it's been around for, you know, 100 years in some fashion, uh, right? So what what is it that we still don't know about batteries? And obviously, part of that is scaling up. It seems like we should already know everything we need to know about
1: batteries. Yeah, so we're in the, this is about emerging technology, so yeah, while the electrochemistry models have been around for, you know, a long time, and you know, the periodic tables have got, you know, key elements in there that we know are part of batteries, as we look, this is about the next generation, is frankly, the battery technologies that we've had in legacy, while they've been capable, they've still, um, they definitely still have lacked along the way, if we look at comparative, you know, uh, energy generation or other energy storage methods, and so as we get into this age of connected products, portable products, you know, uh, high power and high voltage and high energy capabilities that are required. We, you know, even on electric, even on uh, standard combustion engines today, if you look at those vehicles, the requirements that's on board uh, for the battery system today is not compatible with the lead acid battery that's on the vehicle. So even if you're not an electric vehicle fan uh, you know, fine uh, we know plenty who are like hey i don't get the whole ev craze but you know they're in the same vein they're the ones that jump into their standard combustion engine car today and say hey you know i need more entertainment i want my wireless that's in here my bluetooth and connectivity my sensors and ability to do you know safer driving autonomous uh vehicles one of the biggest drivers frankly of electrification and hybridization is not because we want to get rid of internal combustion engines it's because the battery system and the battery chemistry that exists on those vehicles today does not support uh, what we need for the overall electrification of the balance vehicle—not for the drivetrain, but literally for everything else that we all want from a creature comforts, creature comforts, a connectivity, and a safety uh, perspective. So that's just on the automotive side. On the grid side, um, it's actually you know from an application standpoint, this comes about because of uh, you know as we look at the grid um, in the U.S. we're we're very young from a grid perspective compared to other nations. Uh, however, uh, as we look, you know, people are dispersing out further and further. In COVID, you know, definitely taught people that they can work from just about anywhere, right? Um, as you look at the ne- again necessary infrastructure that people want there, they want, you know, remote power. I want the ability to not have to do, you know, uh, you know, local generators and other other uh, less uh, ad- adapt methodologies to power there. I've got to get power to locations where I didn't perceive ever putting generation. So the way to get it there is through renewables. So again, renewables is not just about you know where folks want to you know clean up and rid out you know rid out you know coal, natural gas, and others. It's that to go and put those kind of centers in remote locations can be very very cost prohibitive. It can be very long runway. Where dropping down renewables and energy storage is uh, is much easier. Um, is much more cost effective over the long haul as well. So that's, again, that all drives back to that we need a, we need a continued evolution of battery chemistry capability. And just to be keen, you know, and I'll let Bill touch on uh, a couple of chemistry pieces as well. You know, lithium ions not the answer to everything. So, you know, lithium ion doesn't replace every battery technology we have today. It's a complement. It's a, a necessary uh, uh, chemistry for some of the specific applications that are out there
3: yeah i wanna I want to touch on what Ben had said about uh, the needs of of the customers and the needs of the vehicles changing. back in you know the milk truck uh, the electric milk truck of nineteen ten didn't didn't have the need to to do anything for regenerative braking. Now when the start stop vehicle was concept was introduced to reduce carbon emissions. You know they decided that uh hey well let's also take a look at sim- some things simple as simple as braking where would uh, that energy would normally be dissipated as heat in in your braking system now let's capture that en- energy electronically uh, and bring that current into a situation where the battery can accept it and recharge the battery in the vehicle uh and and uh, improve fuel economy as well so the The lead-acid batteries of 1910, even though they were invented in 1859, uh, had had developed a good 60 years there, did not have any any need to capture the the large amount of current in a very short period of time that your braking system would generate. And so I think as we've progressed into the 21st century, uh, the needs keep changing, and electrification is permeating not only uh, automobiles but uh, uh, traction vehicles, fork trucks, uh, and many other types of of, uh, vehicles that are on the road from very, very heavy, large, heavy-duty commercial uh, to commercial truck and and all around the the, the whole spectrum. And I think that's driving a lot of innovation and a lot of development in many chemistry, battery chemistries that, uh, you know, are considered to be mature. Uh, So that's I think that's, um, that's an important thing. I, the, best, the best part of trying to catalyze the technology is to not necessarily push it for the sake of pushing a, an idea, but this idea is based upon a, a fundamental need that is not being met by the current technology. And that's where the BIC can be a value partner.
0: So I want to go back to the, the manufacturing question. Uh, because that becomes—I mean—I think that becomes an economic development issue, but it also is something that you all are involved in. Uh, Wunzi, I wanted to 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 direct a couple of questions to you. You—we well, we've seen a couple of announcements, I think, in the last year or two of new battery manufacturing technology or companies of uh, facilities going to other states there obviously is a challenge as we are now trying to meet this, uh, this new emerging demand uh, to produce uh, mass-produced batteries for vehicles, mass-produced batteries for all sorts of things. What don't we know yet about, uh, about that manufacturing process for batteries? How is that challenge? How are you all addressing that challenge of scaling up uh, ramping up that battery production. How do you play in that? And what don't we yet know about how to do
4: that? So Thank you for your question. We do know that batteries are very important and the process of making batteries is probably even more important. And it's nice that um, there are more and more facilities around the US that are springing up that uh, are able to uh, replicate processes uh, to make cells. So at the big here, we do do some uh, uh, some uh, manufacturing, but really, well, we're making prototype cells, and and at the same time, uh, we don't have enough volume of cells as well. So it's always nice to see more facilities, uh, even though they may not be in Indiana. We would like more to be in Indiana, of course, but uh, uh, to see more of these facilities coming up uh, to make more cells, is always welcome um battery is really really hot right now everyone is trying to make more cells. everyone needs facilities um the big is trying uh, her best to meet you know so much demand so it's always nice to see uh, more facilities pop up so it's a uh, process of making batteries is very important it's maybe not very well understood in the industry still because it's so young and so many people are trying to break into this industry. So uh, part of what the big is, is to educate the industry. So we do have a a short course, educational short course, where we teach um, the industry what is required to make sales from the very basic uh, into an industry perspective. And uh, through that, um, I think we definitely can make uh, more people in the industry to understand the processes of making sales. There are
0: probably many things that are unique about manufacturing batteries, even though we understand a lot about manufacturing uh, things in general. When, we're, when you're, we're manufacturing an axle or a transmission uh, or a, a, an auto body part, I mean, that's one thing where you're stamping something out of metal, but you're in, this is a very complex process. So, you know, what are the things that are unique in the manufacturing process of batteries that, again, create that unique, that new challenge that everybody's trying to understand? And then you, I think, touched upon that you do some training but how are you helping people to understand or helping the companies that are adapting this technology? How does the BIC help people understand what is unique about the battery manufacturing process?
4: As you mentioned, the battery making process is um, sort of, I wouldn't say it's the most difficult, but there are a lot of uh, parts to it that you need to consider. And I, I think like a lot of research is on like individual parts of uh, how the cathodes behaving, how the is behaving, but so they may not be enough uh, integrated um, sort of uh, experimentation to understand the full process of uh, how how do you, if you change a small thing, you know, you might change the whole battery. So really, it's um, understanding the integration of processes maybe that's one way to look at it. Um, so uh, at the big, of course, we do have the shortcuts. But um, we also like to um, ask our clients to come outside to really uh, look at the process to fully understand. So uh, one of the main processes in the battery is to make the electrodes. And to make that, uh, we need to put the active material into a slurry, cast the slurry, dry it, in order to get the final electrode. And um, I believe that process um, it's something to understand. It's uh, one of the main parts um, of, of the battery making. And I don't think that we have a full understanding of that process yet. So um, it's a lot of things to um, take into account. For example, you need to understand how the slurry uh, is. So we need to take the measurements to understand how it's flowing, how well it's flowing, and that will actually affect the cooling itself. Um, so the big is uh, we do a lot of internal uh, validation on these kind of processes to understand what is the most, uh, what, what is the best recipe, uh, what is the best process of mixing, what is the best, uh, how, do, how do we best code um, the electrodes. So I think at the big, we do have uh, a lot of all these basic understanding and we're able to teach or bring this understanding into uh, the bettering
0: I'm supposing there are some very unique aspects of how you create, how you build, how you populate a manufacturing facility that is devoted to batteries, that it's not, I mean, that it has to be a unique footprint from other manufacturing processes. And so it's not a matter of just getting a cornfield someplace and putting up a building And then people start making batteries. I mean, I'm sure that there are some very unique technologies and expertise that have to go into being able to do that. The
4: big is the place to go for that expertise. Okay.
0: Well, and that's good to know. And that's that's why we're having this conversation today is to help, I think, to help people understand uh, that unique um, aspect and the unique expertise you bring to that. And I would think, Danny, uh, Danny Marshall, uh, you, you are the uh, a test and evaluation team leader. And so I think that, uh, again, as people are experimenting with their, their own battery technologies, looking at what they are trying to do, you have a unique position in all of that in being able to, again, have that expertise in terms of being able to evaluate the effectiveness what people are doing. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, what the the value is of what you bring to that process and how you're helping clients.
5: So I guess uh, with that, taking kind of a step back, uh, talking about the BICS vision for a second. So from my perspective, I don't see it from the same uh, level that Ben sees it, like the 50,000 foot level. I'm more at the 10,000 foot level. And what I see from the test and evaluation point of view is uh, we are slated to be able to catalyze the development of battery technologies using infrastructure using expertise using real estate even um, also using our education and outreach section from my perspective trans like thick is all about transfer of knowledge so uh, getting OEMs getting, Uh, you know, your mom and pops down the road to understand what it takes to be able to implement battery technologies in applications, implement them safely. And uh, my goal is to be able to educate these uh, companies or these individuals and give them good footing uh, to be able to uh, make educated decisions on where they want to go and also what technologies are safe for specific applications. So with that, kind of on the t- test and evaluation side, what we we do quite a bit of different testing, one of which is kind of like your third, bi- third party unbiased opinion. So <laughs> I often call that data sheet verification because many times what we will get in from a data sheet, uh, it is, well, uh, Ben likes to use the phrase lawyers, liars, and battery suppliers. It is often incorrect But it also can be correct. It's just they did their testing in a certain environment so that it brought out the characteristics that looked good on a tip sheet. Where whenever I'm testing a battery, uh, for my clients, what I would do is I would emphasize the application that you're testing that battery for. So uh, for instance, in an electric vehicle application, you may need to, well, you will likely need to be able to run that electric vehicle in Arizona, as well as in Maine, and temperature has a huge impact on battery performance and degradation over time. So characterizing a battery in all of those environmental conditions is critical for an application. That also has to take into account balance of system in the vehicle, things such as uh, your cooling, Uh, Also, if you're say in Maine, uh, you want to make sure your battery heats up sufficiently before you start to be able to deliver as much power that may be needed uh, during normal operation. So those types of tests we often perform at BIC to help clients get an understanding of what their batteries need to do in specific applications. And then we do also standards testing. So uh, standards to be able to characterize how safe a battery is, also uh, with many standards, it comes with design requirements, right? So you must design this battery such that it is safe if I you know hook positive up to negative, which can happen uh you know somebody putting together a vehicle can accidentally reverse polarity or something like that whenever they're putting it together, making sure that there are protection mechanisms in place to ensure that there's no loss of life or damage uh, in that scenario so doing standards testing whether it be like ql or ic or sae depending on what it is uh, but then also because it's such an emerging market batteries are such an emerging market and there's so much development going on it's standards development uh trying to project and see what standards companies, and also assist standards companies like UL and IC and all those, in developing criteria to ensure that batteries that are deployed with their stamp on it are safe. Uh, so we have a, a huge role in that as well. We have a actually UL Best Test Center incubating in our facility currently, using equipment and uh, working alongside uh, big personnel. Yeah, so. And then just characterizing batteries in normal and abnormal conditions. So you're not only going to have batteries in normal conditions. Abnormal conditions will exist. For instance, an electric vehicle gets in a wreck. Well, in a wreck, you can uh, penetrate the battery with something conductive. Now what happens? So uh, with that one, we call that an external short test. And we literally push a nail through a battery and see how it reacts, uh, which is, Usually pretty eventful. We, uh, we call it thermal runaway. Um, but, yeah, being able to make designs such that that thermal runaway event on maybe that one cell in, part, in a part of that system doesn't propagate to the remainder of the system and can hopefully keep everyone safe. So that goes also into materials testing, which uh, we will also do a, uh, a lot of.
0: So I know that one part thank you uh, the one part that, that you also do as part of your mission at uh, the Battery Innovation Center is technical consultation, but also education. We, we learned when I, when I did my tour of the BIC with Ben, and he was talking about, you know, uh, uh, something as simple as, uh, which we kind of take for granted, you referenced it, Danny, you know, if a vehicle is in an accident. And there's something goes on and you get a battery fire. For example, a lot of fire departments don't know necessarily how to react to a, a battery fire in an electric vehicle. So what is the range of technical consultation and where is the education that we all need to get to better understand how to operate in a world that is increasingly filled with batteries?
5: Yeah, that's a very good question, and Vic actually is taking an active role in uh, trying to disseminate that knowledge to the appropriate parties. In fact, we have a a firefighter on staff that uh, educates uh, people in that regard. We've went out to several sites. Um, I'm sure you heard of the uh, fire that happened in, uh, what was it, Morris? Uh, Yeah, Morris um so actually ben went on site and evaluated that scene and kind of went over the do's and don'ts there were quite a few don'ts on that one um but uh yeah so trying to educate um the appropriate parties on how to take action in the event of those scenarios um which is uh our firefighter on site kind of likens it on uh to a propane fire it's just not not in uh like you fight it the same way. It's just different. It's not like your regular house fire where you could put it out with water. You need to shut off the source. Um, And with us, we are trying to not only enforce it uh, and educate firefighters, but also educate OEMs uh, on how to develop materials, develop designs that can mitigate uh, these battery fires uh, from becoming catastrophic uh, and instead, you know, be Kind of
0: a, a nuisance. So I think as we we think about, and that's helpful. It, it alerted me to the to just the whole notion that there are that there are so many things that, as an average consumer, I take for granted about batteries, and yet really don't understand. And as we sort of begin to are, are encouraged to envision this future in which you know, the world is gonna be populated by electric vehicles and everything around us is going to be renewable energy and electric vehicles. Uh, it seemed to me as I, as I toured your facility, there are still a lot of things that we don't know about that. And I think as I heard Ben talk at our industry outlook conference, um, that sort of a vision we have of the future in which everything will be electric uh, may not be sort of the vision we're heading toward. So uh, again, any of you weigh in here, what's, what is next in the world of batteries? And what does our sort of short-term and long-term future look like? Ben, let's start with you, go back to you, and then let some of your other team members jump in uh, as they go. But, but what's, what is our battery future? What's our electric future look like here?
1: Yeah, let's see. Um, as I look here, I mean, obviously, electrification is going to continue. I very much uh, anticipate that, um, you know, that that is uh, some of our future. Uh, I'll be honest. Um, uh, I think a lot of these grand, uh, you know, visions of that, you know, by 2030, we're all driving in electric cars. Uh, I, I think I would say my personal input is I think that's uh, ill served. Um, I, I, I actually, as a as a battery leader, uh, and I won't speak for my entire team, but I'll take off my big hat a little bit and put industry hat on. If we're all driving electric vehicles, we're going to wind up with uh, battery powered. We're going to wind up with exactly the same problems we have today, which is dependent on one source. And there's a lot of inherent issues with that. So now does that mean we're battery naysayers? Cause it seems a little counterproductive to our environment, right? No, I'm, I'm a firm believer that what we need um, as we move forward is uh, is the diversity, frankly, as we think about technology, we very much need technology diversity. We need to be able to count on a multitude of sources, not single sources uh, for both our energy, our energy generation, and our energy uh, transformation. you know how to how do we use that from an application standpoint? So while I think electrification is uh, is a fantastic adder and it reduces our single point dependency, we have to ensure that we keep up the same technologies in internal combustion engines be it you know uh you know regular petrol fueled um diesel um frankly getting into uh, fuel cell and hybrid uh you know applications uh, adding additional electrification that increase in, increases the efficiency of those um and obviously again battery electric vehicles are going to fall into that as well but they're not going to meet every application and even with the chemistries we know and the ones that are coming along they simply just won't replace what's out there and I think that's kind of one of the things that we we're starting to hopefully figure out as a you know as a a global economy is that we got to get out of these one-size-fits-all and that we're um, it's one of the times I would say we have to be a little agnostic I hate using that term but we need to have a little agnostic we need to be a little more intentional about what we do uh, and we need to make sure that we've got multitude of capabilities so that you know in frankly by 2030 we're now not talking about hey there's a lack of supply on these battery vehicles. You know, we can't get, you know, you know, uh, electrolyte is, you know, it's $5 a gallon, you know, to go into, uh, to go into cells or actually be, it's, it's way worse than that right now. Sorry, I'd have to do the conversion real quick, but now we can't afford to put batteries in vehicles. What are we doing now? Um, I think that's really the key is how do we make sure the batteries become a part of our diversity, a part of our uh, application and our capability and they, they add to our ability to get off of the you know, the single stream. Batteries are part
5: of the answer. They're not the answer. They're part of a solution, a solution that includes not only batteries, but hydrogen, uh, potential like renewables, uh, pumped hydro, all sorts of energy storage mechanisms that you can use to still facilitate the uh, energy consumption that we have. It's, um, it's also kind of part of my soapbox whenever, because it's heavily politicized, right? And it's like a lot of regulatory stuff going on. So we need to be fully electric by uh, 2030 or uh, whatever. So, uh, yeah, so you're fully electric, but the electricity generator, um, they're currently like, what, 25% of carbon emissions? And now your transportation is like, of carbon emissions. Well, you just traded one for the other. You still have 50% uh, carbon emissions coming from those two uh, entities. So it's uh, it's definitely a combination of solutions. And um, BIC is, I mean, so we are Battery Innovation Center, but that doesn't mean that uh, we are strictly for batteries as the solution. In fact, uh, I know that we're working to uh, actually, um, get into some of those other arenas so that we can uh, continue development in that as as an energy storage system uh, company and not only a battery company.
1: Go ahead, Ben. So I was going to piggyback on them, and just say, and we you look across other industries. It's I know we, it sounds like kind of tied heavily to you know both uh, you know energy demand from a grid and a transportation application. But as we think about just the products we all use, you look around you you know with cell phones and laptops and connected products. And, you know, it's almost like everything connected to everything. Um, the need uh, for portable energy. I think if we push for anything, the ability there, uh, and that's where we're seeing most of our fast track is, is on the battery side. It's, it's funny the you know, the automobiles seem to make the the biggest and sexiest headlines. Frankly, you know, if you look at portions of our business there, you know, it's, it's good to have that. we've got, you know, all the relevant players, you know, work with BIC. Um, but really, where the innovation is happening, and where the the biggest breakthroughs, and I think where our biggest reductions, you know, on capability are in uh, consumer products, power tools, uh, connected products, and the like. That market is exploding. Pun not in not intended. Uh, very, very much so. And so the battery evolution that's required there, and the battery capability is coming in there first. In fact, some of our deployments of technologies that we keep hearing about, that like, hey, someday those will be in the market and you hear the automobile manufacturers say, you know, we hope that, you know, someday we expect to see like solid state. Well, just an FYI for your listeners, solid state is a reality. Solid state exists. It exists in certain, certain capabilities today. I think everyone thinks that it will exist. It does exist, but they're finding that there's better applications for today. Just, you know, even in that case, from a commodity standpoint is um, that's the other thing that we're going to face with, you know, battery tech is, Uh, It's not a commodity and it's not driven down to a commodity. And frankly, we're already seeing with supply chain issues. You know, you just saw Tesla and a few others had to step back. They were going deep into going to some of the best battery technology. And then they're like, oh, wait, we've got supply chain issues. Surprise, surprise, future cast for 2025 or 2030. Um, You know, they've had to revert back to legacy or older lithium ion technologies because of cobalt and nickel and some other things that they can't get access to and there's not gonna be enough supply. So uh, again, that's it's a point of, that we gotta have well-rounded solutions, not no one size fits all.
0: Okay, as we finish, I wanna pose one last question for you all to, to answer. Um, uh, what the, What's the one thing that you wish that the, the people in Indiana knew about the Battery Innovation Center? Heather, uh, can I I'll- put you on the spot first?
2: Go, Heather. Oh. I guess the the thing that really sparks my mind is people are always really impressed whenever they come to our facility. They say, "Wow, I didn't know you were out here. I didn't know you did so much." I think just the varied services that we that we offer, and they are their their services. We are technical consulting. We are serving a purpose for our clients toward their goals. And there's a lot that we do that I think that people would be surprised to to know that we have the capability of doing. So, yeah, we're a small scale manufacturer and we're a small scale, you know, test and evaluation data center. But we, we make some large impacts. So
0: that, cool. yeah. I like that small footprint, large impact. Uh, <laughs> Wansi, how about you?
4: Um, I would like to maybe expand on what Heather just said, that, you know, we are a small team, we exist in Indiana, but at the same time, uh, we have much room to expand, definitely can expand, and um, hopefully Indiana will give us a lot of support to expand and do even greater things.
0: Well, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight you all is hopefully we can help get the story out. Danny, how about you?
5: I guess, yeah, kind of piggybacking off of both of those answers is, uh, you know, being, uh, well, I mean, right now our major constraint in like uh, R&D and self-fabrication, right, is dry room space. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess I would want to uh, people of Indiana to know that in, in order for us to continue to innovate and uh, progress further, we would, uh, you know, there's like, I guess, a, a call to action for, um, you know, something to help us to expand those facilities. So,
1: yeah.
0: Okay, Ben, as the as the president and CEO of the Battery Innovation Center, what are your final words today?
1: Um well, I would, uh, would kind of circle around everybody's answer initially by saying uh, the impact of, uh, of a small team centered in Southern Indiana. Uh, today, uh, I would put our outreach uh, based on the size of the team up against some of the largest companies that exist in Indiana and our ability to be an economic development engine and an outreach both for the state and for our companies that we work with. Uh, and that's not, again, not just bringing people into Indiana but it's intentionally working with people in Indiana all over the globe. Uh, I think uh, if we were able to share it, that uh, you know internally folks know this and our board and others, but the hundreds upon hundreds of companies that we interact with and know all over the world today that are uh, doing some of the, the coolest things with battery tech, and like I said, not just automobiles. Um, number two is uh, I wish we could share, but I think uh, hopefully everybody gets a chance, and as they look around, Uh, I can tell you today that there is battery technology that you have access to that has uh, everything to do with the inception of the battery innovation center. And while we can't always share those inner workings because that's intellectual property for the clients we serve, uh, most of those have done a great job of telling the story about what they're doing. And and we share, uh, we share behind the scenes uh, in their, uh, in their capability and in their, uh, in their next generation. Uh, Third is, is that uh, we're, we're always looking for more capable folks, is that Vic continues to grow in outreach. We're working to replicate. Uh, we've already done some replication of sensors like us. We were the first of our kind in the world. Uh, we're now among a few elite uh, that we helped put together, um, but we are growing and building on that. And like I said, that's, that's the impact electrification across the board, so not just, you know, automobiles. And frankly, I would say in spite of, you know, on the automobile um, side, there are a ton of other arenas um, that you know that impacts are, are desperately needed in our day to day lives, and so uh, we welcome uh, anybody that's out there to come join us uh, or to be a part of the innovation.
0: I want to thank you all for your time uh, and for sharing with me today. I've been talking with uh, Heather Mishler, uh, C. Tang, Danny Marshall, Bill Walter. And Ben Reitzman, they are the leadership team from the Battery Innovation Center. I want to thank you all for your time. I want to thank you all for sharing your expertise today. Uh, and and just thank you all for the, the critical work that you're doing. And we're pleased that you're located in Indiana. Thankfully.
5: So Thankfully.
0: thanks. Thank you so much. You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for the members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This is Lee Llewellyn, and whether it sounds like it or not, I really am trying to be a lot less annoying on these podcasts. Uh, This podcast is copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Not sure anybody else would want them.